And this week, we are going to be... Everyone got the handouts? Awesome. Thank you. Who handed them out? Ushers. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, yes. <laughs> We're going to be talking about the Mosaic Covenant. Now, this... Uh, <laughs> the last notes I handed out were rather lengthy. And uh, this one I was able to sort in a little bit by taking the actual scriptures out. I put the reference in there, but I took the scriptures out. Um, I still didn't get it down real far. Um, but there's just in these lessons, there's just a lot of information I want you guys to have. So I'd rather give you too much than not enough. So... Uh, so, uh, this particular dispensation is, it's really important. And unfortunately, I won't have the time during this series to dedicate to the, the specifics of this covenant. There is so much involved with this particular covenant, uh, that, I mean, we could probably spend a good half a year on just the tabernacle. Uh, let alone the, the, the priesthood and the, the feasts and all of those things. So what we're going to do today is, is talk about it in terms of, of covenant and in terms of uh, how it applies to salvation today. So uh, Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 through 14 reads this. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. So this is obviously uh, during the time of Abram and uh, the Abrahamic covenant, but God is giving him kind of a, a glimpse of the future as to what would happen with his descendants. And, uh, of course, in the book of Exodus, we start seeing that come to fruition. Uh, the nation of Israel was put into bitter bondage. They were made slaves in Egypt, and uh, eventually it became so great that they started calling out to God some 430 years later. And so uh, God sent Moses, the deliverer, the lawgiver, and uh, so on and so forth. He delivered, through Moses, the nation of Israel from the land of Egypt. But uh, the Mosaic Covenant that was given during this time, uh, they traveled a week or two journey to Mount Horeb. And there, God made a covenant with his people. Most of the Old Testament is written under this period. In fact, from about mid-Exodus, when they got to Mount Horeb, all the way through the end of Malachi, and actually, all the way through the Gospels as well, is all part of the Old Testament. It's under the Old Testament, the Mosaic Covenant. And so, we don't, we don't actually get to the New Covenant until the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost. So this, this covers a period of about 1,500 years. 
So a lot happened during that 1,500 years, and all of it happened under the Mosaic Covenant. We find most of the Old Testament quotes and allusions that are found in the New Testament being pulled from this period as well. Most of the quotes of Jesus, most, most of the quotes of the apostles come from this time period. The Mosaic Covenant is the most complicated and the most difficult of all covenants. The elaborate wording of the covenant, the intricate details of the sacrifices, priesthood and sanctuary, and the complete governing of the national life of Israel by the Sabbaths and religious festivals make it the fullest expression of a covenant in Scripture. When we talk about covenants, we can kind of use this as the model. Because when I say the fullest expression of, of the covenants, I mean every, every aspect of a covenant is covered under this one. We have the terms, we have the words, we have the, uh, the blood, we have the, the mediator, we have the, uh, the seal, we have all of it. Every part of it is, is represented in some way in the Mosaic Covenant. And the Mosaic Covenant is a complete, we're talking about worldviews kind of, uh, on, on Wednesdays, uh, biblical apologetics. We, we've mentioned worldviews. This is a complete worldview. It covers everything. And, I mean, <laughs> it covers what happens when you find your neighbor's property, what you should do. Uh, what happens if your, your ox gores someone? Uh, what you should do in every conceivable situation. The civil law covers it all. And so, it is a complete worldview. Everything that we are supposed to believe, everything that we are supposed to hold true, we find it in the Mosaic Covenant. Or they did. Ours is uh, fuller. We'll get into that. But as far as they were concerned, they had themselves a complete worldview. Before this, they had the worldview of Egypt. They worshipped the Egyptian gods. They were taught the ways of the Egyptians. They were Egyptians in everything but lineage. And so, this supplanted everything they were taught. They had to, they had to change everything they believed about reality under the Mosaic Covenant. With whom was the covenant made? Deuteronomy 5 verses 1 through 3 says, And Moses, called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that you may learn them and keep and do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, who are all of us here alive this day. So this covenant was made with the nation of Israel, the descendants of Jacob that were present on that day at Mount Horeb. Today, the covenant is made with us, not with our fathers, not with our children, with us. They need their own covenant. But we establish our covenant with God. God establishes his covenant with us as individuals, not as a nation, not as a church universal, but with you and with me individually. God comes and he presents that to you. And he wants you to enter into a covenant with him. 
When was the covenant given? Galatians 3, 16 through 18 says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should be that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So the Mosaic Covenant was made 430 years after the Abrahamic Covenant. Again, it was given at Mount Horeb, when the nation of Israel traveled there under the guidance of God through Moses. Why was the covenant made? Now this is where it starts to get interesting. Israel was a nation on probation at this point. Now remember, all through these ten plagues that God, or where God judged the gods of, of Egypt, they were still under the Abrahamic covenant. The law had not yet been given. They were still under the Abrahamic covenant. Ezekiel 20 verses 5 through 9 says this, And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, In the day when I chose Israel, and lifted up mine hand unto the seed of the house of Jacob, and made myself known unto them in the land of Egypt, when I lifted up mine hand unto them, saying, I am the Lord your God. In the day that I lifted up mine hand, or swore unto them, is what that phrase means, in the day that I lifted up mine hand unto them to bring them forth of the land of Egypt, he promised that he would bring them out into a land that I had espied for them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands. Then said I unto them, Cast ye away every man the abominations of his eyes, and defile not yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So in other words, he's saying, I'm going to do this, but this is what you need to do. I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to bring you out. You'll be a free nation. But in return, I'm asking you to cast aside your idols, these gods of Egypt. Get out, get rid of them. I am the Lord your God. He goes on in verse 8. But they rebelled against me and would not hearken unto me. They did not every man cast away the abominations of their eyes, neither did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said, I will pour out my fury upon them to accomplish my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I wrought for my namesake, that it should not be polluted before the heathen among whom they were, in whose sight I made myself known unto them, in bringing them forth out of the land of Egypt. As an aside, verse 9 refers to, uh, he did it for his great namesake, not because of the actions of the, the children of Israel, quite the opposite. He did it for his great namesake. And we see later uh, when Moses was interceding time and time again for the nation of Israel. He would make mention of that in just about every one of his intercessions. If you destroy Israel, then the other nations will hear it. And they'll say, because God was not able to bring his people out. Do it, Lord, for your great namesake. They ended up forsaking the Lord God of their fathers, worshipped the idols of Egypt. The time period between 
Jacob coming in to the land of Goshen to the time of the Exodus was a time of virtual apostasy. They had all but lost the knowledge of God. They were worshiping idols, according to this passage of Scripture. They remembered God when the burden became too great. <laughs> and we're going to see that translated pretty much throughout their history. And unfortunately, probably through our history. <clears throat> but they remembered God. God responded. That's the Abrahamic covenant. All they needed to do under the Abrahamic covenant was return to God in obedient faith. That's all they needed to do under the Abrahamic covenant. So God came to them. I'm responding. I'm here. I'm going to take care of this. But you need to clean up your act. You need to return to me. They wouldn't. They would not. Exodus 2, 23 through 25 says this. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Again, when they cried out to God, he responded. And he remembered the covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. There's no law yet. There's no Mosaic covenant yet. They were under the Abrahamic covenant, and he remembered that covenant when they cried to him. Deuteronomy 8 and 2 says, Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. God took him out there to prove them and to know what was in their heart. Between the time of uh, the Exodus and the giving of the covenant in, at Mount Horeb, they had failings after failings after failings. Between Egypt and Sinai, God gave them four tests of faith and obedience, and in each case they failed. The Red Sea, the waters of Marah, the wilderness of Sin, and at Rephidim. They failed every one of them. Only a few weeks removed from all the signs, all the judgments that they uh, experienced in Egypt, God completely destroying in their spheres of influence, in their realms of authority, every God that they worshipped. He was more powerful than any of them. He demonstrated that completely. Only a few weeks removed from all of that. And already they were exposed as faithless. Indeed, history shows them provoking God ten times. We read in Numbers 14.22. Even though they promised to obey all of God's commandments. In Exodus 19 and 8, we read this. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord hath spoken we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. But in Numbers 14.22 we read, Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times, 
and have not hearkened to my voice. In boasting that they would be able to keep the commandments of God themselves, rather than trusting in God, this generation fell from the height of grace and faith under the Abrahamic covenant to the ground of law and works. God gave them a covenant of law and works to expose their utter helplessness and inability to keep covenant apart from the grace of God. Under the Abrahamic covenant, it was through faith. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. That's the sum of the Abrahamic covenant. You got all the promises of blessing and and all of those things. But the heart of it is we are saved by faith. It wasn't the works of Abraham. It was his obedient faith. They said, we'll do it. We will obey all the commandments of the Lord. All by ourselves. God said, okay. We'll just see about that. The other reason was uh, the world court. Under the Abrahamic covenant, God chose Israel out of the nations to be a model nation through which he could reveal his redemptive purposes, his character, and his way of life to other nations. In other words, again, we've talked about this in previous lessons. Uh, Before the Abrahamic covenant, God made covenants with the patriarchs universally. Adam, under the Adamic covenant, the patriarch of the entire human race. Noah, the patriarch of the entire human race after the flood. But with Abram, he was called out from the rest of the peoples of the earth to be a separate people, to be a sanctified people. That was the Abrahamic covenant. And so what we find here is that uh, God chose the nation of Israel to be a repository of God's truth. It would no longer be the whole world. He would now work through this one nation. And he would build this nation and make it a reflection of him. His character, his laws, his law. And that nation would reflect God to the the other nations around them, to the rest of the world. It was God's intent, it was in his heart that through Israel, the whole world would come to him. That was the intent. Of course, what was that all contingent on? Israel properly reflecting him. Romans 3, 19-20 says this, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Israel represented all other nations before God. They were the representatives of the whole world before God. And so Israel's failure illustrates and confirms the guilt 
of all the world. Because Israel, in the best possible scenario, was not able to fulfill the law. No one else would be able to either. And that includes you and me. We are not able to fulfill the law either. Because as Scripture saith, you're guilty in one point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. There is no misdemeanor, uh, felony. There are no layers of offenses with God. You have sinned or you haven't sinned. That's it. The little white lie is just as damning to your soul as a mass murder. Now, you and I, we place distinctions on those. The little white lie is not so bad. But in the sight of a perfectly righteous, perfectly holy God, there is no distinction. We are guilty before him either way. Psalms 19, 7 through 10 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Another reason God gave the Mosaic laws to set forth the divine standard of righteousness. With these laws written down and available for us to purview, for us to, to uh, peruse and, and study, we have a very accurate reflection of God's character, don't we? We know God hates murder because he commanded us not to. We know God loves worship because he commanded us to worship, etc., etc. And so by, by reading the law, we have a very specific, very uh, detailed understanding of the character and mind of God. Romans 7, 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. This also serves to give a clear external definition of sin because of the inadequacy of man's conscience. In other words, if I'm, if all I'm going by is conscience, and we've talked about this, you guys all know this, conscience is, it's flawed in a few areas. One, it kicks in only after I've sinned. Two, if I keep doing it, I won't have to listen to it anymore. It will stop talking to me. And so, eventually, conscience gets seared, and I have no other way of discerning right from wrong. And so, what the law serves to do is define that for us externally. Yeah, my conscience may be seared, but I can see in, in the law, this is still wrong. And so I'm still held accountable. It gives a clear definition of sin. Galatians 3, 22-25 says, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ may be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, 
set up unto the faith which should afterward be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we may that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So the Mosaic Covenant also serves to preserve the nation of Israel and the Messianic line and to shut Israel up as a nation in custody, as it were, under a schoolmaster, and thus prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. Supposedly, it would keep their lineage pure. It would keep them uh, separate and distinct until the fullness of time was come and the Messiah would come forth. John 1.17 says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The Mosaic Covenant serves to illustrate the two major ways of God's dealing with man, which are seen in perfect balance in his own being, law, and grace. These are one way of looking at God, two sides of God, law and grace. Word and Spirit. We see both in these covenants. Hebrews 10 and 1 says, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. It would also serve to foreshadow and typify all the truths of grace and redemption within the ceremonial law, and to typify the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we don't have time to get into that uh, during this lesson, but, I mean, the, the, the types and shadows that are representative in this covenant of Jesus Christ and of salvation, it is replete. It is stuffed full of those uh, kinds of types and shadows. And... In fact, when I first came to the Lord and I was going through the, the Search for Truth Bible study, this is the part that really hooked me in. These types and shadows under the, the, the tabernacle plan and under the Mosaic Covenant, it blew my mind. And I was like, I have never heard this before. Are you saying that the Old Testament is important? Are you telling me that the Old Testament foreshadows what we have today? I had no idea. And that was so, so amazing to me. It's, it's still amazing to me. All of chapters 9 and 10 of Hebrews uh, tells us that, that this law provides in the ceremonial law a temporary atonement or covering for sin by which Israel could approach a holy and a righteous God in worship, and upon the basis of which he could dwell in their midst. Now, the fullness of salvation had not come yet. Jesus Christ had not yet been born. He had not been uh, died, killed, buried, and, and resurrected yet. He's, he's still not in the picture. But God still wanted a relationship with us. And so... He had to come up with these ways, these temporary ways. In, in the Adamic covenant, he taught them about animal sacrifice, that it would be the spilling of blood that covered sin. So he took off the fig leaves and put on animal skins. The Noahic covenant, he talks about uh, 
again, the, the sacrificial system was still in effect. Uh, but he talks about the, uh, when they came through the flood, that the waters of the flood baptized them. That's representative today, of course, of, of baptism. We have to come through the waters of baptism. And under the Abrahamic covenant, he gave the seal of the covenant, which was circumcision. And told us that we needed to be separate and set apart. So all of these things, all of these stages, if you will. When we were originally created, we had a as perfect a knowledge of God as we would ever have. We were without sin. We had a we had a close, intimate walk with God. And so none of this was necessary. There was no sin to cover. There was no broken relationship. We had a close, perfect, intimate walk with God. We had a close, perfect understanding of who God was. After the fall, all of that changed. We lost the knowledge of God that we had because we were broken. We were separate from him now. This gulf of sin separated us. And so now, because God loved us, he was trying to get us back into relationship. But he can't because of this gulf of sin. He won't exist where sin is. He won't do it. He's a holy God, and he will not exist where sin is. So he had to take care of that. And so all of these institutions, all of these ceremonies were instituted as a temporary fix so that he could reestablish a relationship with us. But that wasn't the permanent solution. And we find that under the, the Old Testament law, the whole, the, the whole system of priesthood that was set up, the, the sacrificial system, all of the various sacrifices uh, that were instituted, all of the, the, the festivals and all of the, uh, the, the, the calendar that, that was set up, everything in there was set up so for one reason, so we could come to the Lord, so that we could approach a holy God. And all of it, in some form, fashion, or other, typifies the fullness of salvation that we have today. I'll, I'll give you one obvious example, and then we'll move on. The high priest, one time a year, was able to go into the Holy of Holies. And that was it. Only the high priest, and only one time a year, during the Day of Atonement. He would bring the blood in, sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and that would atone uh, the, the nation of Israel's sin for one year. It would roll it forward one year, and then they'd have to do it again the next year. Then they'd have to do it again the next year, and so on and so on. But he was able to approach the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant, that one time a year, and only him. Today, because we have the fullness of salvation, all of us are enabled to come into the throne room of God. We are in, we are. Not only authorized, but we're bidden to come into the Holy of Holies whenever we want. That's just one very powerful example of how much better the new covenant is. Galatians 3, 10 through 14 says, But 
as I'm sorry, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The Mosaic covenant was given to show that the world, to show the world that none can be justified or made righteous by the law, but only through the faith of Jesus Christ. Leviticus 18 and 5 says, "Ye shall keep, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. It was given to show that the covenant of the law could not give life, but that only the new covenant in Christ can. If it were possible to obey all the law, we could be saved by the law. God says in Leviticus 18.5, which if a man do, he shall live in them. So it's out there. If you can keep my law perfectly, your whole life, you can be saved by the law. But we can't. We absolutely cannot. That's right. Only one can. Only one did. The Lord Jesus Christ. Only he was able to keep the law perfectly. And that's why only he could be the substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. If I tried to die for your sin, it wouldn't work. Because I can't pay for my own. I have an infinite debt of my own to pay. I can't pay for anyone else's. Jesus Christ can pay for everybody's. Because he had no sin. Okay. We're not going to finish today. What is the relationship of the Mosaic Covenant to the Abrahamic Covenant? The Mosaic Covenant did not annul or replace the promises of the Abrahamic Covenant. We've mentioned that earlier. The Abrahamic Covenant was still in effect during the Old Testament law. The Abrahamic Covenant is still in effect today during the New Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant has been made irrevocable by being confirmed with an oath. We talked about that last week. I think it was last week. Last lesson. That's safer. God said, because I can swear by no other, I swear by myself. And he confirmed it with an oath. So it is irrevocable. It will endure till the end of time. The Mosaic Covenant was added to or placed alongside the Abrahamic Covenant because of Israel's failure under the Old Covenant. And we're going to see this illustrated all through history. God establishes a covenant with man. Man fails to keep covenant. Judgment ensues. But then mercy. God establishes a new covenant. And we fail to keep that covenant. Judgment ensues. But then mercy comes, God establishes a new covenant. We're going to find that this covenant ends the same way. Both covenants, the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenant, flow into the cross. 
their ceremonial elements being fulfilled and abolished under the new covenant, and their spiritual and eternal elements being fulfilled in the new covenant. Hebrews 9, 9 and 10 says, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. So the Mosaic Covenant was imposed or laid upon Israel to prefigure the person and work of Christ. It was a temporal uh, covenant only lasting until the time of the Reformation or until the time of Jesus Christ. The Mosaic Covenant, we find, is a temporal covenant. It is not eternal. It was either uh, fulfilled or it was abolished in the New Covenant. The ceremonial law was fulfilled in Christ. The civil law was abolished. The moral law is still in effect. That's carried over into the New Covenant. Actually, it's it's been increased. If you read the uh, Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said of old time. But I say unto you, something harder. <clears throat> if you commit adultery, it's wrong. But I say, if you look on a woman to lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So, it's not only carried over, but it's it's kind of magnified. It's it's brought to fullness. But with that also comes the power to, to live up to that through the Holy Ghost. The Abrahamic covenant was the transcending eternal covenant, while the Mosaic covenant was the temporary additional covenant. It was added to until the time of Christ. And we're going to stop right there. We'll continue on next week with the words of the covenant. We'll start breaking it down. <clears throat> Again, this covenant is absolutely fascinating. It's worthy of study. It is uh, abolished. It is fulfilled in this new covenant. But, wow, there's a lot in there. There's a lot that we need to know in there. And it helps us to understand the covenant that we live under today. Amen. Let's all stand. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. You're an awesome God. I am so thankful that all throughout time, it has been your heart.